All right, today, the title of the message is The Victory of Love. The Victory of Love. The um, last couple of weeks I've been talking about love here. This is the last of this in a series in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the victory of love. The first one was the value of love. And that is, do we value agape love like God does? That's the question that I kind of posed in that message. And then the second message, I got more into the virtues of love, meaning what are the, the things that are practical that we need to do to express love when agape love comes into our heart. I listed the seven different aspects or, or uh, titles of love. First of all, we have agape love. And really, we're not born with agape love. We're born in the image of God, but we're not born with agape love. You get agape love when you're born again, when you trust Jesus with your heart. But the other six loves you, were, you have when you were born because you're in the image of God. So you have family love, you have friendship love, you have romantic love, you have playful love, you have obligation love, and you have self-love. And all of those were given, put into us, just because we're created in the image of God. But we do not have agape love until we trust Jesus with our life. Now, we can experience agape love from other people that have Jesus a part of their life, but we cannot have it within ourselves until Jesus is Lord of our lives. And then when that happens, then he changes all the other six loves. There's a whole different motivation for why we call ourselves family and, and, and why we have friends and our romance of how we romance our spouse or, and, and the, our playful love changes and even our obligations and our self-love changes because agape love comes in and streams down through, filters out all that stuff that we are imperfect and in our humanness that we can't love like God. But when agape love comes in, it changes all that. And today we're going to learn about how we mature in agape love. If you want to, if I could just say one sentence that you would get, and that, that is to remember that agape love was meant to be matured in our life. It doesn't come into our life mature. It's something that happens all for us all the way through. I entitled the message, A Victory of Love, and I began to think about a victory lap. Those of you that are into NASCAR, you would know what I mean. A victory lap. What is it? Essentially, it's this. It's after the winner wins the race. It's one more time around the track at reduced speed so that he can enjoy the fact that he won the race. The spectators can cheer again. Another term is the honor lap. When the winner is being honored. So that's what it means to have a victory lap. And I want each one of us to recognize that when we get agape love in our hearts, that we too can have that victory lap with God as agape love matures within us. Well, let's dive in today, 1 Corinthians 13. I'll read it here in a few moments, the last half of that chapter. But I want to start out by, getting, by saying this. Agape love is a choice, not an obligation, nor is it an attraction. Now, oftentimes what happens in today's world, it's like an obligation. I'm obligated to love you. I'm commanded to love you. Or that we're attracted to someone or were not attracted to someone. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you that are in a marriage or maybe in a relationship actually hated each other for a period of time? Don't raise your hands, please. But yet I've known people like that. They've told me. The first time I met the person I'm married to, I didn't like them very much. In fact, I couldn't stand to be around them. Then something changed. Something happened. Agape love moved in. And they all of a sudden are married today when there was a period. Of, I've heard of couples 
that went through seasons like it was a horrible season. I couldn't stand to be around them. But then something changed. Agape love moved in and began to dispel all that that you disliked and didn't, you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons for that. But I'm just pointing out the fact that that takes place in human relationships. And I've met people like that. Well, I don't know that one, and I've gone through that. I mean, we had the days like, eh, but never a season that we reached that point. But yet, some people do, and yet it's, it's changed for them. So agape love is a choice. It's not an obligation, nor is it some kind of attraction that comes and goes. Even in the Old Testament, in, uh, um, um, I'll, get the, I'll get the chapter here in a minute, Isaiah 53. It said that even Jesus had no beauty that we would be attracted to him. So in the standards of what a man would be handsome... We would not be attracted to Jesus because of his physical characteristics. But he was the son of God. So in the same way, it love, agape love doesn't operate on some kind of attraction. It's a choice that is made and God made that choice for us. Let me read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's what we want to look at this morning. And so it starts out there in verse 8, and it says, love never fails. I was interested in what that word fails means. And the word picture given in the Greek is the lights off. Have you ever come home late at night, and you drove up the driveway, and someone remembered to leave the light on for you? The outdoor light. I know we have motion lights and we have timer lights today. That, but, you know, it's always great when you realize that when you drive up in the dark to your house and someone left the light on for you. Someone left the interior light for you. You know, they were thinking about the fact that you were coming home in the dark and the light was on for you. Isn't that a warm feeling? Isn't that a pleasant feeling to know that they thought about you and left the light on? That's exactly what we could do in translating that verse, God in love leaves the light on for us. No matter what's happened, no matter what we've done, no matter what shape we're in, God says, I'm leaving the light on for you. I don't know how many in this room remember the Motel 6 advertisements. You remember those? Tom Bodell. This is Tom Bodell from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. I mean, Motel 6 is not necessarily a great place to stay, but <laughs> when it was up and coming, that was the... That was, that was the saying that was catchy, that they would leave the light on for you. And so God says that. He said, no matter where you've been or what you've done or how far you've distanced yourself from me, the light's still on for you. Love never fails. It's always on. 
that's a comforting thought, and it's an important thing for us to remember. A couple of things there about love as a choice. First of all, it's based in a person, not just a principle. It's based in a person, not just a principle. Grammarly was fighting with me. It wanted to, it wanted to say, love is, on a per, or love is based on a person. I says, no, I'm going to fight Grammarly on this one. Love is in a person, not on a person. And it's not just a principle. Sometimes we get talking about love and, well, you're obligated to love me. Or you're ob- you, you have to do that. You're commanded to do this. And I know that Jesus tells us that. But it's still a choice. It's not something that we, again, should do and not have our heart in it. A couple of verses, one out of Romans 5, 5, it reads, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out. That word means gushed forth. God has gushed forth his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What a great picture there of what God has done. He's poured forth out of himself into us when we are born again. We have this agape love now being available and we can function in it. Here's another one out of John chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. For the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. I know it doesn't specifically mention love there, but it talks about the fact that grace and truth. We usually think of truth as some kind of a, a, a law or some kind of a, a principle that we follow. And yet it says it comes out of a person. And that's the thing that we have to realize in agape love. That it's not something that, that uh, is, is just a rule that we follow but it actually comes out of our heart. You know, there's a difference between doing the right thing and our heart not be in it versus doing the right thing and our heart being in it. You know, the outward appearance may look like the same thing on the outward, but you know inwardly there's a difference. There, you know inwardly whether your heart's in something or you know inwardly where your heart's not in something. And I'm not saying don't do it if your heart's not in it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you know the difference. I know the difference when my heart's not in something. And there's sometimes I have to call upon God to say, change my heart. This is, not, this is of the flesh. My heart's not in this. I know I want to do it, and yet I'm struggling because my heart's not in it. And I have to call on the Lord to come and change my heart in order to do what I know I want to do. And yet it feels like my heart's not in it. That's agape love in action when we have that awareness that we need to call on God. Another point that I have is love is not soft but completely secure. Love is not soft but completely secure. What do I mean by that? I mean that fact that sometimes the world looks at Christian love and says, oh, it's just a pansy. It just blows away. You can blow Christians away. You can have them give in and do whatever you want want to. And that's not the definition of agape love. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he he was talking through and he he had a section there called uh, an eye for an eye. And then the following section beyond that is love your enemies. I want to talk about the eye for an eye section there for a minute because that's really exhibits what I would call love is not soft. 
And he goes on to that section and he says, first of all, he says, don't resist an evil person. I'm not sure it translates in our culture what he's saying there in his. I know, I know it's different because you, you're like, what? Don't resist an evil person? Well, again, you've got to wade into actually what that word means and what it meant in a culture to really have fuller understanding. We're not going to do that this morning. You can do that on your own. But I'm going to look at a couple of examples and one of the examples it says is if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Now, we don't really pick that up. We would say, well, that's brutal. But yet in the culture, what was happening, if you struck somebody on the right side, you were actually their superior and they were your underling. But if you said, now I want you to strike me on the, on the, on the other cheek, you're saying, let's be equals. I'm human too. You're actually taking initiative to let that person know that we are equal. We're both human. You're not my superior. That's what love does. Love takes the initiative at times. The next example Jesus gives there is if somebody's suing you to take your coat, then give him your coat. Let him have it. It's like don't, get, don't, don't let them just sue you. Actually give them something if they're suing you. Wow, that's love, taking initiative. And then he, he cites about the fact of if the soldier comes up and says, walk with me, carry my pack one mile, that at the end of that mile, you actually say, you know what, I'm going to carry it a second mile. I'm going to do this voluntarily. You mandatorily told, mandatory told me to carry this pack one mile. Now I'm going to carry it to second mile. I'm going to take the initiative and do this voluntarily. You see, that's agape love. It's not soft, but it's actually taking the initiative when the other person is not expecting it. And God does that for us. He uh, takes initiative with us sometimes and we're not expecting it and he shows up. And that's a part of agape love. Number two, agape love is meant to mature within us. Agape love is meant to mature within us. Let me... Let me read uh, here verse 11. It says, uh, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In this passage, it, um, it talks about, um, that's my next point. Let me get with my point. Here we go. It says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. We'll get to the childish thing in a minute. But this one, really what I would call is these three that are listed, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, is really, I would call them the sought-after gifts. It's what people seek after. I want a prophetic word, or I want a prophecy, or I want to, I want to speak in tongues. That would be the ultimate. Or I, I, want, I want knowledge about this that only God would give me. It's like the sought-after gifts. And Paul's saying not that those are wrong or we shouldn't value those. He says there's something greater, and that is love. Where are these three sought-after gifts leading because if we just seek after any one of these three, then there, we kind of get stuck upon the fact that we've been given something proprietary that somebody else doesn't have. And it sets up a comparison. But Paul says, no, even though those are good in themselves, let's seek for something greater. Let's seek for love. 
Let's think that our prophecies would release more love. Our tongues would release more love. That our knowledge would release more love. That's Paul's angle here. I've been in situations where the love of God has been so prevalent and so pervasive that I didn't care about prophecies or tongues or, or knowledge. I didn't care because I was in the presence of God and I was sensing and feeling His love in such a, a great dynamic that God was in the house. And I wasn't really desiring to seek those, those gifts that people seek after because the presence of the Lord was strong in that place. And I believe that's Paul's what he's trying to convey to us here. Why? Because, again, I've just said it, because someone greater is revealed. Someone greater is revealed. He says in verse 12, And now I see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. As God comes closer, as we reach for him, we're going to see more clearly than we ever have. That's a fact. He says, Now I know in part, but then meaning in the future time, then I will know fully even as I'm fully known. God knows you fully. There's nothing that he doesn't know about your life. There's people that you haven't told things about your life. Other people may not be in the know, but God is always in the know. He fully knows everything that is in your life. and Nothing is hidden from him about your life. And so when you get a, a glimpse of God and his love, then the prophecies and the tongues and the, and the knowledge becomes secondary because you have experienced his love. All right, and we jump in now to the one I was ahead of myself, but I've caught up to myself, and then we're all good. Number three, agape love maturing is similar to us growing into adulthood. Paul writes here and says to us, that when we receive agape love into our hearts, we let Jesus be Lord, that the love that has just come in needs to mature. In other words, it's perfect, but it needs to mature in us as human beings. And there's a process and a way that we allow that love to mature within us. And one of the things that has to happen, I'll probably say it again, is that it has to be in relationship. Agape love cannot mature outside of relationships. If you isolate, you pull away, you, you pull to yourself, you're, uh, the agape love that is in you cannot mature. It has to mature in relationships. That's the only way that it does. And so when you pull back and pull away and isolate, basically agape love stops maturing at that point until you come back and pick it up again. And that's, the, that's just how it works. And so Paul is talking about the fact that, uh, you know, agape love starts out like a child is born into the world. He says, I talked like a, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. Now, all of us have been around children, and sometimes they have some very positive characteristics. In fact, Jesus said we need to be childlike, not childish. Children have like a trust and they have a wonder about them. And they see things differently than we as adults do because we know too much. <laughs> but children don't. They haven't reached that place. And agape love begins to mature within us just like a child begins to learn. I have on my phone a 10-second a, a clip of my, he was then six-month-old grandson. And he's just, he's talking. No, he's not. <laughs> he, yeah, he's talking in a way that he knows to talk. 
He's just, he's just babbling and just cooing. And just, he's very content, but he's talking because he's six months old. And that's the level that he communicates. And then he cries and he fusses too. That's his communication. But if he's six or 10 or 15 or 20, if he's still doing that, we're in trouble. And yet sometimes we haven't let agape love mature in our own life that we're, we are, we're 15, 20, 50 years old and we're still like a six-month-old because we haven't let agape love mature in our life. I found this, this table of, uh, of really compares between childish love and maturing love and we're going to take a look at it here. And uh, it says this, and now this is, you know, you can look at this between human beings and possibly between you and God. I don't know it fully, fully uh, works there, but you can kind of figure it out because you're smart people. All right, childish love is you complete me. Maturing love is you enhance me. And so if you're thinking childish love, it's like you, you're like, you, you complete me. I can't do without you. And yet a mature love says you enhance me. Or you compliment me. A childish love says, I can't live without you. I need to hold on to you. And a maturing love says, I can live without you. I hereby grant you space and freedom. Now again, that would be more on a human level, not at the God level. Let's go on. Here's another one. Childish love is, is need-based. I need you. But maturing love is, I want you. You see, the need is like obligation. But the want is a choice from the heart. Here's another one. Childish love. I only want to hear positive things about me in our relationship. That would be a childish love. A maturing love is, I want you to be honest with me and with yourself no matter what. Ooh, that sounds like a great one to have a marriage seminar about. Y'all are quiet. Let's go on. One more. Childish love, founded on infatuation, imagined ideals, and ego needs. But maturing love, founded on more honest and realistic appraisal of oneself and relationship. Again, just comparing real briefly about the difference between childish love and maturing love. But I'll say this again. It only happens. Uh, agape love only matures in the context of relationships. And those are the things that, that don't work well. We run away from, we get scarred from, we get trauma from. And yet that's the very thing that when we're in good, solid relationships, our agape love starts to mature and continues on maturing. I found this clip, uh, my son and daughter-in-law moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and I found this clip there attending a church, so I naturally wanted to check it out to see if I liked it. I like it. And uh, so I was listening to a couple of messages, and the pastor's wife was talking about evangelism, actually going out and, and sharing with a team, going out and sharing their faith. Uh, out, I think at that time they were down in South Africa, and now they're in Nashville. But it, I thought this clip was particularly helpful for us to get a hold of the difference between just going out and do something out of obligation versus when love gets involved. So let's uh, take a look. What I'll, here, what I'll say this, what I love about evangelism is God, he kind of has to show up. And I love that feeling. So I was so filled with zeal to be taking out these teams of new people who had never really ministered in that way and to, you know, really show them what God could do. So we went out 
And um, we were out the first day, I think, for like three hours. We covered a lot of ground. And we, you know, we door knocked, we spoke to people. Um, and honestly, it, it, it wasn't having the effect I had anticipated. It was hard. People were hesitant. Um, you know, it's like being in sales, like people are just waiting for you to, yeah. They're like, just give me the pitch. What are you here for? You're knocking on my door. You're from the local church. Look, I'm just going to tell you now we're not coming. <laughs> and it did. It had that feeling. It was like door after door, I got more and more discouraged. And I, I was not new. I, I honestly had seen, I'd prayed for people on the street. I'd shared the gospel at, um, you know, in cinemas, I was ready, I knew God could do something. And with every door, I just became more discouraged. And this zealous team I brought out with me were like, wow, yeah, this is awesome. We love evangelism. Because I told them, man, there's nothing like seeing people discipled into church. There's nothing like seeing them give their life to God. And then the next week you see them at church. There's nothing like it. But it just wasn't, it wasn't happening. And what was happening in the team is they were now growing more and more anxious to talk to people. It was having like the reverse effect. I wanted to fill them with confidence to see what God could do. And they were like, oh, it's just so disheartening and awkward and embarrassing talking to these people. So I came back and I was chatting to one of my friends about it. And he said this like one line and it, everything changed for me. He said, what I always remember when I'm sharing the gospel is love. Just to love them. Because love casts out fear. That was it. And something dropped inside of me. Love is one, the most excellent way. Because it doesn't have an agenda. It's not trying to hard sell them to get them over the line. Love is there to minister to their heart. But two, love casts out fear in you. It's easy to love someone. When you carry love on the inside, it's easy. What is hard to do is perform a miracle because you've told this person who doesn't believe in miracles that you can and now you have to. That's what's not easy. What's easy is loving. So the next day we went out and we're knocking on the door and we, we changed our whole approach. We just came and said, if there's one thing that would change your day today, if there's one thing we could give you that you need, what would it be? And people were so taken back. Just the question alone broke some people. For some people it was like, I just need like 15 bucks. If I can get that, I can do this. For some people it was like, I mean, one mom, and I have so much sympathy now for moms. <laughs> she was standing there, her kid was napping in the car. She couldn't get the groceries in the house. We just carried them for her. At the end we prayed for her and she did come to church. But it, it, it shifted before subconsciously I had these goals, these results I wanted to see. I wanted to see people in church becoming disciples. I wanted to see healings. I wanted to see deliverance. I wanted to see this. I wanted to see this. I wanted to see this. Now I had one goal. I want you to experience the love of God however that happens. I will do whatever it takes. And it even released fear of man in me. We have to be compelled by love. Wow.
so powerful to illustrate sometimes what we think love is and how, how we communicate love and what it actually is. Love makes us change the, the uh, questions. Love makes us take away our agendas. And yet it has a powerful effect upon people when agape love comes through. That's what the world is looking for, waiting for marriages to operate in agape love, for relationships to operate in agape love, for churches to actually operate in agape love. So I want to conclude today of four, um, number four, blocks and builds of maturing love. Three blocks that can block us from actually our love maturing and then three builds that can actually cause our love to mature. The first block is this, is to have eroded trust. Eroded trust. Children usually are born into this world and they trust and then they learn not to trust because things have happened or things told to them. And yet in the same way, we, as we grow up, in Christ and in our relationships, we can get to the place where we don't trust anymore. It's eroded away. Yes, things happen. There's reasons for that. Sometimes we're predetermined not to trust. Sometimes we get to the place where we can't even trust God anymore. And yet that eroded trust is the very thing that causes love to not mature within us. That's a reality. The second thing is unwilling to be vulnerable. Unwilling to be vulnerable. Wow, we were vulnerable yesterday in our our marriage seminar, it was, it was a little too vulnerable at times, but yet it was important for us to walk through that exercise. But when you're unwilling to be vulnerable, then love can't mature because love is a very vulnerable thing, and at the same time it's very, very powerful that when you get to the place and you're able to share deep secrets and deep things that you're dealing with with somebody you can trust, your love will begin to mature again. And if you're unable to do that, then your love won't mature. It'll stay where it's at and maybe go backwards. The third thing is to resist the truth. The truth is the truth. And it's hard to face the truth. There's times in my life that the truth was there glaring at me and I didn't want to face it. So it's tough. Jesus said the truth will set you free. That sounds so wonderful and so kind. What he didn't say is the truth will make you miserable first. <laughs> and it does. It makes me miserable. Until I realize if I make that change, I'm going to be so free. I'm going to be, feel so loved. And so, yeah, three, three blocks that will keep our love from maturing eroded trust. You know, there's this whole thing of trust must be earned, and I think that that's, that's uh, there, there's a portion that that's true. Trust must be earned, and, and sometimes we, we do that with our relationship. Well, you have to earn trust. Well, if that's, that's the level that you stay up with, you won't mature in your love because there comes a point where you have to decide to trust again. If you put somebody in a position, even God, and to say, you have to earn your trust with me, you know, in regards to people, they will never add up. I mean, never. Because you're always looking for the one slip up. But when you decide to trust again, then when they slip up, 
you can forgive easily because you want to mature in your love. So three blocks there. Eroded trust, unwilling to be vulnerable and resistant to the truth. Let's look at what builds. Here we go. The first is a confident covenant. A confident covenant. Talk about a marriage being in covenant or in a church family in covenant. We believe in covenant today. We believe that we have friends that we can be in covenant with. And so that covenant, what it does, it provides a protection that when the problems come, we realize these are problems from the outside. The other person or who's ever involved is not the enemy. The enemy dropped this into our lives. Therefore, we are going to take this problem and get it out so that we can enjoy the love that God intended in our covenant. We see the problem as something from the outside, something from the enemy, not anybody desiring or causing, it's just there. And as a result of that, then we work on it. James says, be glad you have problems. Rejoice that you have trials. Whoa, wait a minute, yeah, why? Because God gives us problems so that we can work it out and then we can take our victory lap. Right? Exactly. Those of you that understand have worked out deep problems in your life, you get to the place where you know God works it out. What do you do? You take a victory lap. You go, yeah, God, we did that. And God says, yeah, we did that. It's an amazing way to live. So just because you have problems, don't think it isn't God. God says, you have problems so that you can invite me in and work it out and we can do a victory lap together. And mature in love. Problems mature us when we work them out. And if we don't, they destroy us. The next thing is uh, a building is the willingness to risk it all. Wow. Yeah. These are some amazing things here. Willing to risk it all. Put it all out there on the line. To say, here's, here's where I'm at, and this is what's going on. Willing to risk it. Willing to, to, to go to somebody else that's trusted and say, man, this is where I'm at. This is where we are at. This is what I'm in. And willing to risk it all. And the good news is that when you're in people that are in covenant with you to work out what needs to be worked out, then you stay in it until you're done and do your victory lap together. So you build when you're willing to risk it all. And then the final one is the acceptance of change that is needed. Sometimes in change, sometimes there's things that we need to stop that are coming into our lives, and other times there's things that we need to start that are not in our lives. There's things that are affecting us that are coming from the outside, and then there's other things that we need to start in order to build the foundation that God has put into our lives and mature it as it walks along. And so it's a kind of a two-way street there. We need to decide what's coming in. Is that helpful? Or maybe what's already there needs to be matured. Paul ends in this chapter with verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You see, you'll never get the love unless you start with faith. Faith is first. And faith takes you into love, and love takes you, I mean, faith takes you into hope, and hope takes you into love. You say, I want to be in love. Well, you've got to first of all start with faith. 
faith in God and faith in the other person or the other people that are helping you through what you need to. There's faith that is needed there. And when you have enough faith, you'll be taken into hope that whatever you're facing can be worked out. And that's maturing love that takes you into love that say, this is amazing. This problem is going. Let's do the victory lap. And so it always, love always starts in faith. Hebrews says it's impossible to please God unless you first have faith. And so if you want to have the, 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 the blessings and the benefits of love working in your life, you have to go back and say, where am I putting my faith? In my abilities or God's abilities? And when you truly have faith operating in your life, then hope will come in. It's possible that this can work out, that I can move from this, I can break this cycle, we can be free. Hope will come in, and as a result of that, then you'll be thrust into love. And love is an amazing place to be. And that's how love matures. It starts in faith, it moves into hope, and then it comes into love. And Paul says, and the greatest is not staying just in faith or staying just in hope, but the greatest is the victory lap of love. That's where we want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to dive into this chapter that so many times is just glossed over. It's read at weddings, and, and yet it's not really waded into to understand the fullness. And you've just directed me in these last couple of weeks to, to really uh, walk into what it means to love well. And again, you're, you uh, have given us all that we need. You've given us the tools that we need to, to really love well. And sometimes we neglect or don't realize that you've equipped us fully, either within ourselves or in the body of Christ. And we have everything we need to live this godly life. God, forgive us where we have chosen to break relationship. Lord, pray that you would show us if we're at that place of we've broken relationships, show us the relationships we need to connect up with so that our brokenness can receive faith again and our faith can receive hope again and our hope can walk into love. God, I pray that if we have these blockers in our lives, eroded trust and lack of vulnerability and unwilling to face the truth. God, show us how to move those blockers away and begin to build. Begin to build with the components of love that you've laid out here. God, you've designed all of us to desire to love. That's why you, you born every human being on the face of this earth desires to be loved. And Father, I pray that you would grow us as individuals, as families, as a church body, and even as a community. I would pray that you would move us and mature us into expressing and and. And, and displaying agape love. Show us, Lord, when we have stopped. Show us, Lord, when we have called love something that it isn't. Bring us back in the palm of your hand. 
in your arms knowing that we're a child of God without fear as Savannah said on the video that love doesn't have an agenda the agenda that love has is that we would walk in union with God and in unity with one another Father thank you for pouring into our hearts this morning Lord and I pray God that if there's anyone here that is desiring to move forward in the agape love first of all the place to start is commit your heart to Jesus Christ that's the starting place of all of God's love and second of all know that when you do that that there'll be an impartation There'll be a pouring out into your heart, something fresh, something new. Hope will begin to generate and love will come. Lord, let us not run from, from the things, the way the enemy has wrecked our past. Do not let us run, Lord, thinking that you haven't left the light on for us. Because you always leave the light on for us because love never fails so thank you Lord for the encouragement that you brought to us through this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that you gave the Apostle Paul now let us live this love for the rest of our lives in Jesus name